I've only been doing this for like five years. Are you still having bread out for a little? To get started here, a couple things that, that are. Julie, what did you make with paper? You made it. You copied the wrong document. I'm sorry. That's why you were saying that. Okay, well, give me, give me this. That's what I was talking about. Okay, so, well, okay. We'll just, just the front. I told you, okay, never mind. Go ahead. Just. As long as we can have fun in class, it's all good. It is. You can hang on to that. All right, Psalm 32. Let's read through that. It's only 11 verses, so we'll read through that, then we'll pray. Um, Julie took my sheet, so I don't have announcements, but actually I got it. Do I have it here? Let me look at it. For Bob Bolkin and Sharon, you guys are always on my heart too. And David, thank you guys for being here. Um, the 21st of uh, June, uh, which is a week from tomorrow, is uh, Vacation Bible School starts. And uh, so be in prayer for that. Uh, pray that uh, we have a lot of kids. Um, we do have salvations uh, occasionally on VBS, so that's always good. My grandson got saved a couple of years ago in VBS, and uh, it's just always a lot of fun. Pray for the, 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 the workers that are working that. I'm sure they could use more help in one way or the other. Um, pray for, um, uh, let's see, Family Day at the Cave. You can be praying for that. I don't know if anybody is interested in that, but that's, you know, it's a, the base, a baseball game followed by a, a gospel preaching message. Um, Brian has tickets available if you want to purchase them from Brian. Or through the office, ten dollars, and you can take you know ten dollars for you, ten dollars for somebody else. Take a guess. I don't know if, the way he worded it. I'm assuming that that's how it's worked. I don't know, but anyway, you get um, you know invite somebody to go hear the gospel uh, or have an opportunity to share the gospel with them while you're there. So that's coming up. Um, I didn't get the. I don't think I have the date in here. The seventeenth. The seventeenth of July. And thank you. And then um, uh, last Saturday or last weekend, or this weekend, I mean, until Friday night, it kind of snuck up on me about uh, it was our turn to clean the church. And so I texted everybody, uh, and we had a couple people that, that were able to make it uh, Friday. Um, Um, you know, so uh, um, just kind of keep that noted. And I'll, I'll text and remind everybody to, to clean. Um, so that's coming up. 
and there's other stuff that I can't remember. But anyway, that's enough to carry on, carry on in prayer. So, let, all right, Psalm 32. Verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in spirit, and whose spirit there is no guile. When I keep clearance, I'm sorry, when I keep silence, my bones vexed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I, would I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass up me with thy, with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be, uh, be ye not as the horse or as the mule which has no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with, a, with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Right, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord, just to as a reminder, Lord, of the uh, the relationship that we have with you, Lord, sometimes uh, that relationship is is covered in sin, uh, but you forgive, and we're thankful for that, and you 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 show mighty grace uh, for that, and you help us uh, get past it. We thank you for that. We we praise you for those that are also uh, who have no guile in them, Lord, and and uh, who who just try to do the best they can uh, to to glorify you in their life and in, into others as they see as they see you. And we're thankful, Lord, for all that you do. We're thankful, Lord, that you are our hiding place, that you, that, uh, you preserve us from trouble, that, you, that uh, you are our compass, our guide, our director. Uh, you do such with songs of, of deliverance. And we know. Bob and Sharon and David and um, for all, all the others that are on the prayer list, Lord, that list is always growing. We ask for your help to be there. We pray for the um, the, the Yoder family, Lord, and as they uh, have uh, they, that they give their daughter away uh, to a godly man, and uh, we pray for them and for the wedding this afternoon, Lord, that it would all go well, and that um, that you would be. Um, introduced to a lot of people maybe that don't know who you are through the bonding of a relationship called marriage and we pray for them we pray for the families we pray for um, the gospel to go forth and we thank you and all that you do in jesus name Thankful, Father, for you. God's love you so much. For your sin, Son. 
Father, as we conclude in prayer, we just again want to thank you for uh, for who you are in our life. We, as, as we see the last verse, Lord, be glad in the Lord and rejoice in ye righteous and shout for joy, Lord, all that ye are, that are taken and upright, or all the ye that are upright in heart, Lord. And we pray, Father, that we would always rejoice and we would always shout for joy uh, in declaring the things that you do in, in all of our lives. And we praise you for that. We pray, Father, for the uh, the words that go to, is going out this morning in the children's classrooms and the uh, other adult classrooms, Lord, and just throughout this this building. We thank you for this building, Lord. Without it, we would not be able to draw as many people as we do. Uh, but we, Lord, we understand that we are the church. The building is not the church. The building is a place to congregate. And so we thank you for it. And we thank you for those that take care of it. And we pray all this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, okay, so. Uh, I always thought I wondered if I just give him my just give my notes out and make it, make it simple. But, so for first page test, okay, that's all right though. Uh, so today we're going to start a study in the in the in the New Testament on the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. Um, this is actually the first time that I've taken a deep dive into this book. Uh, you know, just like a lot of people, I've read it many times. I've, I've there are verses that are significant. For certain applications that you just readily think about and you go to, uh, but so this is going to be a deep dive. And you know what? I actually, I regret that we didn't jump into Second Corinthians right after we finished First Corinthians. And of course, you have my notes there, so you see that it's been six years since we finished the book of First Corinthians, and then and that's that's a long time ago. Um, we looked at First Corinthians. We finished in October 2016. Uh, so, you know, we, we probably need to kind of do a little bit of a, you know, a, a review, and we'll do that over the next couple of weeks to kind of remind ourselves of what uh, that study was about. But I called that study, First Corinthians, I called that uh, to, to be resolved, and, and I'll, I'll speak more about that as a reminder, you know, next week. But to be resolved, to, to make a decision, this is the person I'm going to be, this is the kind of church I want to be in, this is who I am. That's be resolved. But today, what we're what we're starting is a study about being transparent, because uh, you know, Christians 
aren't always transparent. And, you know, what I mean by transparent is not let people necessarily, I mean, this does apply to see your life, but be so transparent that what people see is God. They see through you and they see God. Be transparent enough to see God. That's what this study is going to be about. But if you compare First and Second Corinthians, and you have that in your notes and you have that in your handouts, um, First Corinthians is a letter devoted to the problems that the church had. There was a lot of problems. If you remember this, there was a lot of problems that Paul had to address on a regular basis, on you know, one right after the other in the in the middle, especially in the middle to the end of the, of the book. Second Corinthians is always a letter devoted to the personal life of the believer towards other people. What is your life look should what should your life look like both in the church and out of the church? That's part of the thing about being transparent. First Corinthians speaks about what a church should be. The difference here is Second Corinthians speaks about what a believer should be. So that's when you start digging into Second Corinthians, you find out that Paul is very transparent himself. And he's and he's writing this letter. There's this is not a doctor. Um, first, yeah, First Corinthians is a corrective book to correct the, the, the behaviors of the members of the church. Second Corinthians is more of a testimonial uh, of Paul in particular. But Paul is reminding them of who he is and what he has done for that church because there came a time when he had to defend himself because of the accusations that were being made against him. He said, hey, don't you remember? You're written on my heart. You, you, I invested in you. And so Paul reminded him of that, so it's a testimonial. First Corinthians is a correction of a church for greater use. You know, the problem with the church at Corinth was they weren't being used the way God intended that church to be used because of the problems that were happening inside the church. Second Corinthians is a correction of the believer <coughs> for greater use. Sometimes we would say, why aren't, maybe you, you try not to get, why don't you use me? And God's saying, well, Look at your mess. Look at what's going on in your life. Let's get that corrected, and then I then I will bring you to a greater you. And so, uh, so those are just some of the comparisons. We'll make more over the next several weeks. But I want to start in verse one. Uh, really, we're only going to get verse one, verse two. But um, there's a lot that we need to kind of look at. This is as part of an introduction to this book. Starts his letter, very familiar with how he starts most of his letters. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all, with all the saints which are in all, Achaia, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Paul starts off this letter, he, he's identifying himself in verse 1, just like he has always done. The only, the only letter that he wrote, uh, that most people believe that he wrote anyway, that he did not start off like this is the book of Hebrews. Now, I believe he wrote the book of Hebrews, uh, and a lot of other people do too, but he didn't identify it that way. Uh, there was a reason for that, which we're not going to get into today. And if we study Hebrews one day, maybe we'll talk about that. But in any case, Paul is the author of this letter, and we see his signature greeting, 
But being an apostle of Christ, he had the direct authority from God for any counsel or guidance or instruction that is given. So he's identifying himself, hey, I'm an apostle. says. And so the letter uh, was written by the most important New Testament figure outside of the uh, Lord Jesus Christ. So the one that had the most influence in the New Testament is Paul, outside of Jesus Christ. Uh, he wrote most of, um, I think the count is 13 of the 27 uh, books in the, in the New Testament. Uh, all of the, almost all of the letters that were written to the church and to the believer were written by Paul. So he's the most influential. Um, but he got his authority from the Godhead and for any counsel that, uh, or guidance to be given. Um, but the problem with you know with Paul is that he's 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 beloved. He's he's admired. People were waiting for him. Uh, and so, so there were people that wanted to kill him. Unfortunately, there were people in the church at Corinth uh, that had come in after Paul left, the Judaizers, he refers to them as, and just wanted to stop what he was doing and teach that Paul was teaching false doctrine. And here's, let me correct Paul's teachings. That's basically what they were trying to do. Now, Paul has to go in and fix that problem. And so um, he wrote, uh, he mentioned a co-laborer, only one at this point in time, that's Timothy. And I, we're all familiar with Timothy. He's written two letters to, the, to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and uh, as, a, as a young man who was going to be, be a pastor of a church, Paul used him a lot uh, in preparation for that. Uh, that's, um, you know, we would call that an internship today, where Timothy was an intern to Paul. Uh, Paul was discipling him, but not just discipling him in D1 type stuff. I mean, he's discipling him in how to walk as both a leader, a pastor, uh, uh, an influencer of the church. And so Timothy was one of those kind of guys. He was his co-laborer. Let me just say this. He mentioned Timothy for a reason, because the church knew Timothy. They had, he had already sent Timothy once to, to Corinth um, to do some kind of some research about what's going on in the church. So the church knew Timothy, and he said, hey, Timothy's my co-laborer. He's my extension. Uh, and let me just say, who you serve with is important. Who you serve with is important because it is who you stand with. The problem with the church at Corinth was they were starting to stand with people that were giving bad advice and bad direction. Uh, Timothy... Um, uh, was just like I said, he was he was the extension of Paul, and uh, and he carried weight. And he said, hey, this letter is from me, but it's also from Timothy. Um, he is um, he is our brother. He is he is our connection. He is he. So he's related to both you and to me. And then he wrote. He identified the church, just like he did to First Corinthians. He said, unto the church at Corinth. 
And sometimes, you know, we, 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 we forget this thing. This, this letter is to the church of God at Corinth. It's not to the city of Corinth. Sometimes we don't think about it that way. It would be like writing a church, writing a letter to the church at Harrisonville, but the church is actually HBS. Not, not that there's not other good churches, and I'm not even trying to imply that, but uh, any church that is a Bible-believing church, if a letter was written to the church at Harrisonville, would be going to those churches. And so hopefully that would be HBS. <coughs> HBS ought to be a, a godly church, ought to be an influential church in this community. That's what, that's what Corinth is at. That's why he's identified them as the church of God. And Paul is reminding the body of the church that they're not separate from God. It is his church. It's, who he, it's, it's, it's what he, he established the church through Paul. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, but, uh, but the church is important. Uh, now, Greece had been, uh, Greece is where the church is located or where the city of Corinth is located. But notice it's the church, um, let's see, how did he say it? And I said, yeah, a church with all the saints which are all in all Achaia. Now, Achaia and Macedonia, which we'll mention later, Paul, Paul traveled to Macedonia during the time that he was communicating with, with the church here. And um, uh, this was actually a, it was one location that the Roman um, emperor, uh, uh, Caesar Augustus, he split it into Macedonia. In fact, he took, uh, he just drew a border and said, this is, this is Macedonia, this is Achaia. So Achaia is where the, is where the church is located. Um, and so this is a reminder to them, to the church, that their standing as a believer in Christ is contrast to their state. Now, I don't mean state as in state, state like, like Missouri, Kansas. Uh, what he's trying to get them to understanding is He's writing to them. Notice he says, again, uh, unto the church of, uh, um, church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints. Notice he says, with all the saints, which are all, in all Achaia. So he's, he's bringing everybody. He's, he's saying, you are part of what God is doing throughout all of Achaia. You remember, I don't remember exactly the verse right now. I was going to look it up, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, what Paul said, I believe he said to to the Thessalonians that you have that by your faith you have reached all of Achaia. That's the same place that, he, that where this church is at. So the whole area has been reached. Um, there's churches everywhere uh, that we've never known the name of, and uh, and so those churches are the saints that he's talking about. He said, "Hey, you you are you you should be just like all of these churches. All of these churches in Achaia need to be like-minded, of one faith." serving one God for one purpose to get the gospel out. Okay, so, but then he mentions in verse 2, so, you know, he said, this is who I am, this is the letter, this is who it's to. He says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So this letter is the most important personal letter that Paul has ever written. I think that's a blank for you if you want to fill it out. Uh, it's the most personal letter that Paul speaks from his heart and his soul, and he offers grace and peace from God and Christ. So he, this is this why this is a very personal letter. Uh, he, he talks about grace to address sin. You know, that's one of the things that Paul is going to do. He's going to address sin. He's already addressed it in 1 Corinthians. Um, and, he's, and he's going to have to deal with it again in 2 Corinthians. Uh, but he said, great, I'm going, to, I'm going to show grace, because God shows grace in order to deal with sin. And then he talks about peace. 
Because peace, once you have addressed sin, what do you have left? You have peace. That's what people don't realize. If you get rid of sin in your life, you have peace in your life. You substitute sin with peace. You substitute peace with sin. You can't have peace and sin at the same time. You can't have you can't have them. It won't work that way. I mean, it may work for a day, a week, but eventually it catches up and creates a problem in your life. So this letter uh, is a letter that teaches by example rather than Now, Paul's a believer in the law. It's not that he didn't believe what, what the, the Old Testament said and, and the commandments that God gave to the, to the nation of Israel. He did. But he also recognized that I, that I have to demonstrate by example what I'm talking about when I talk about the law. So I'm not just going to give you the law. I'm going to give you the example of what that means. And that's what this letter is about as well. It's not a great historical or doctrinal letter. It's more of an illustrative letter illustrative of application of the doctrine. So he's basically going to show you, okay, I gave you all the doctrine in 1 Corinthians, and you still are having God, so let me just show you what I'm talking about. That's what 2 Corinthians is about. So it's an application of doctrine. We almost could call this letter an autobiography of, of Paul. It's not truly an autobiography, but he does use himself as an example in a lot of cases. It speaks of the real Christian in operation, living out discipleship and spiritual triumph. So, this is a good book on guiding disciplers on how to disciple. Because this is because what what are you doing when you disciple somebody? You're trying to show them by illustration what the book says. You're trying to illustrate your life in a, in a discipleship format, so that your disciples can say, "Oh, that's what you mean. That, that's how you do that. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for an example." Okay, so the background of this letter, the background of this letter is very simple. Corinth was a church in the province of Achaia. I've mentioned that already. It was a chief commercial city uh, in Greece, and it was located, in a, I don't have a map for you to show you right now, but if you look at, at Greece, there's a, there's a small, there's like two pieces of, of Greece, and right in between is a, what's called an isthmus, where there's like a bridge, a land bridge, that joins them together, and uh, it's a... Um, it joins the peninsula to the mainland. Uh, Corinth is about 48 miles west of Athens. Athens is also in Greece. The original city of Corinth was destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC. It was rebuilt over time, and it became quite a very important and new city by the time of 44 BC. All this is important because we want to know when Paul's writing a letter. At the time of the Roman Empire, it established the city in 44 BC as a seat of government for southern Greece, and we see that in Acts chapter 18, verses 12 to 16. We don't need to turn there for that right now. Um, it's noted for its wealth and for its luxurious and immoral and vicious um, habits of the people made up. Because, okay, there's a lot of seaport stuff going on there. There's a, there's a, the ships would come in, they would have to haul their cargo across the isthmus to get it onto the next body of water and then move on. <laughs> Um, to where they're going, but during the time that all of that cargo was being hauled, all of those sailors lived in, they, they hung out in Corinth, and, and uh, unfortunately, they, um, they made a mess of things because of their sinful behavior, and they were coming from all kinds of places in the world and bringing in all kinds of 
false teaching and false understandings and false gods and so on. Um, it was not the kind of immoral lifestyle normally imagined from a low-rent uh, sleazy series of shanties and back alleys. Many of the sea trade of the, of the Mediterranean from the east to the west passed through this and left, really, they left the city as a mess. That's kind of what we dealt with when we looked at 1 Corinthians. We talked about that a lot. A lot. To avoid the distance and the danger, a sea journey around the Cape of Malaya, now called Cape uh, Madigan, um, they were, as I said, this, their goods were unloaded in one port, transported across uh, this four-mile piece of ground, and, uh, and then reloaded. And for that reason, Corinth became a great commercial city. There's a lot of money. You can make a ton of money there, and you can commit a lot of sin. Luxuries from all over the world were available. And Um, are imported because the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, was right there in that city with, a, with over 1,000 prostitutes that sold themselves just out of that temple. So there's a lot of bad things going on there. Okay, so what's Paul's connection to the city? Turn over to Acts chapter 18. I just want to read Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 11, uh, just to give you some history, some background of Paul getting to this church to begin with. Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1, says, After these things, um, that would be after everything that happened in chapter 17, um, when Paul is, is ministered to uh, preach at Athens, and he says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all For by their occupation, they were tent makers. That's where we get the term tent maker for the, the uh, self-employed or an, um, a, a pastor or a missionary that is that supports himself through, through a job. It's called a tent maker. Verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. Now, this is, this is taking place in Corinth. This is before any, any letters were being written. This was before 1 Corinthians. This is when he first um, rolled into in the, the city of Corinth. Verse 7, And he departed thence and then entered into a certain, he departed from the, temp, uh, from the synagogue. He departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his home, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night uh, by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. Isn't that an awesome thing that happens when God says, Don't be afraid, just speak. You know, every one of us need to have that statement resonating in our head all the time, especially when we have the opportunity to share the gospel and we're like, I don't know if I should say anything. They may get mad at me. Uh, God says, speak. 
right there, that verse right there. Let me read that again. My glasses back on my head. Um, then verse nine. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. In verse eleven, and we'll finish up. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God amongst them. That's the description of Paul establishing the, the church of in Corinth, and he used Crispus and Justice and many others, and people that he preached to, not being afraid of what was going on. He just he just sounded out the gospel, and people started coming to the church and getting saved. And so when he arrived in Corinth, he was alone and spiritually drained after the persecutions he experienced. He had been scourged. He had been imprisoned. And we read about that in Philippians, uh, at Philippi. We read that in Acts chapter 16. That was when he was in jail for a while. He, he fled Thessalonica, fearing for his life, according to Acts chapter 17. He was laughed out of Athens by preaching the gospel at, at um, um, what is that? Um, the... Uh, Aragopagus, uh, the, the stadium where he preached there. And so uh, he was chased out of that. Then he went to Corinth, and he remained in Corinth for 18 months, serving with Silas and Timothy, who rejoined him after they had helped, uh, they came to help establish the church at Corinth. But in his usual manner, he first preached the gospel in the synagogue, as we read, in verse, starting in verse 4, until he was rejected from there. Because the Judaizers didn't want to hear anything about this Jesus Christ. They didn't want to hear anything about, uh, uh, you don't have to, all you have to do is just confess your sin and get saved. Uh, that's not, that didn't fly well with the Judaizers. Um, so he entered into the house of justice, established a church. Persecution continued, even though it brought, uh, he, was, he was brought before Gallo. And it was not Gamaliel. Sometimes people get those two names confused. Uh, Galamel was the guy that said, "If you, if this is going to be, uh, if this is of God, you can't stop it. If it's not of God, it'll stop itself." Uh, but Gallo was established by the the Roman emperor as a, as the uh, the head guy, the governor in in this in the state of Achaia, and they brought the Judaizers brought brought Paul to in front of him and said, "He's preaching against our law." And he says, "I don't care. I don't care about your law. Go away." And so that's when they started chasing Paul and trying to kill him because they couldn't get the government to do it. So um, Paul departed uh, in verse 18. He departed um, Corinth. We read verse 18, Acts 18, 18. And Paul after this tarried yet, uh, there yet a good while and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence to Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow. And if you follow all the way down, I believe it's verse 22, is when he, um, it says he landed in Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church. He went down to Antioch. That is the conclusion of his second missionary journey. Just so you can maybe want to put a note out there on your side of your Bible. That is the end of Paul's second missionary journey. Verse 23 says, and after he had spent some time there, he departed, went over all the country of Galatia and Pergia in order strengthening of all the disciples. Verse 23 is the beginning of his third missionary journey. So in that space between verse 22 and verse 23, Paul was in Antioch uh, on furlough. 
We don't know how long he was on furlough. We don't know what he was doing there, but we know that he, he, he took a breather uh, from the missionary journeys that he was on. He started his third missionary journey in uh, chapter 18, Luke, or Acts chapter 18, verse, verse 23. Okay, so that's kind of all the background there, um, what's going on. So he arrived, he didn't, when he started his third missionary journey, he didn't go back to Corinth. Where he went was to Ephesus. And he arrived in Ephesus in verse in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, so Apollos is there in, in Corinth, no, Paul's not there. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And so he, he, he corrected their doctrine. He started the church at Ephesus. And he heard it while he's there. Now, he's in Ephesus for a good number of years. I believe he's been in Ephesus for between two and three years. I've seen different numbers, anywhere from two, two and a half, three. So between two and three years, he's in Ephesus, working the church, getting the church established in Ephesus. Now, I mean, I think about this when I'm working through all of this in my notes. Like, have you ever actually kind of contemplated, what, is the, what, is, what was Paul's favorite church? Which church did he like serving on, with or at? Was it Galatia? Was it Colossians? Was it Thessalonians? Was it Corinth? Because the reason I bring all that up is because he wrote more letters to the, we are aware of, more letters to the Corinth, Corinthian church than any other church that he started. And I just thought, I never really thought about that until this past week as I'm going through this. Like I knew he wrote two letters, and I knew he wrote two letters to the Thessalonians. Uh, but uh, he actually wrote, and we'll talk about that, he actually wrote four letters to the church <laughs> at Corinth. Two are missing. We never, we don't have them, so we don't, we, don't, we don't know what they said exactly. And two we have, first and second Corinthians. I'll talk more about those, and I'll identify them in a, in a, in a certain way to help you kind of keep track of that in the future. So anyway, uh, he, while he's in Ephesus, he began hearing about the immorality that's coming out of uh, the church at Corinth. He's like, what? They're doing what? That was, that was a church that I started. Why were they doing that? So he heard the church was compromised with sin, of fornication, and all manner of immorality that was flourishing there. He learned from Chloe in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, that there was contention between the brethren. So Chloe had noted him to him. I don't know how she did it, by verb, whether she met with him or he wrote him a letter. But she, he heard from Chloe that there were contentions. He also heard... Uh, that there was a callousness going on in the church where brethren were seeking pagan secular resolution over spiritual matters. Basically, they were going to the secular law to get things resolved. Isn't that what they did to Paul? Uh, they took him to before Gallo because they wanted to go to the law, to the civil law. And Paul says, that's not how we do things. That's not how a church is supposed to handle things. So that's one of the reasons he taught that section. But anyway, so... There were matters of doctrine that were being forsaken, and their conduct at the Lord's Supper was embarrassingly carnal. Remember, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, and he dealt with the, uh, the behavior of the church at the Lord's table, and he had to correct all that, and he's still hearing more about these things. So all of his reports prompted his first letter. Now, not 1 Corinthians. He wrote another letter, and he referred to it, and if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, So 
So all of this that we're going through right now is important so we understand what, what Paul is about to do with this whole, this whole letter that we call 2 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, To deliver such an one to Satan... First hmm? Corinthians 5 9 I wrote unto you it says in an epistle not to company with fornicators that letter right there where he says I wrote unto you I was reading something different I don't know what I was reading anyway um, he said I wrote unto you that where he says I wrote unto you that's the first letter that he wrote but that's the not first Corinthians he wrote that letter I would call that letter the lost letter. So uh, there's four letters that he, 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 he's referred, he mentions. Uh, and so this first letter that he wrote would be called the lost letter because we don't have that in hand anymore. Uh, later on, Paul received a letter from, the, from Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaeus. So he wrote a letter, he sent it to the church. The church said, okay, thanks, Paul. Uh, we have some questions. Now, based on what you said. And so uh, they had questions of marriage. They had questions about virgins. They had questions about food offered to idols. They had questions about spiritual gifts and about tithing and so on. All of these questions and more prompted Paul to write what we would call the long letter. So we have the lost letter and we have the long letter. Anybody know what the long letter might be? First Corinthians. So, so he wrote a letter while he was in Ephesus. and said, hey, you guys, what did I hear about you guys doing this? You know this is wrong. Behave yourself. And he listed stuff. I don't know what the letter contained because we don't have that letter. But they wrote the letter. They wrote a letter back and sent it by by, the, by three men. Go tell Paul. Give this letter to Paul. And based on what he said, we have questions. Yes, sir. Sorry, Randy. So this lost letter and this long letter are not the same. Then. No, they're not. Gotcha. I didn't think about that. They're, they're not the same. He wrote a letter. They responded. And they were, they had questions. And, he, and then he wrote the long letter, 1 Corinthians, to respond to those questions. And they had questions about, well, what do you do about a husband and wife? What do you do about marriage? What do you do about, uh, you know, how do, how do we do things? If, 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 if we're going to do this, Paul, this is, if we forgot what you taught us. Can you tell us again? Kind of what the, the letter with, from Stephanus is and so on. And so, uh, so they wrote the long letter called, we call it 1 Corinthians, and Paul sent Timothy back to Corinth to help guide the church. So he was probably even there while these reports are coming in of the failing of the church. And there's places that we won't turn there right now to see that. So, I, would, I just have a note here just as a reminder myself. You know, when Paul had to write Timothy about Timothy being afraid uh, being concerned about being a pastor, and he says uh, in First Timothy, he kind of counsels him on that. I think that Paul or Timothy was reminded of what was going on in Corinth, and he was like, "Okay, now Paul wants me to go pastor a church, and I'm a little bit concerned. How do I handle that?" So I think I don't know. This is just my opinion. That probably that prompted a lot of what Paul said in First Timothy to Timothy, but you know, just serve and do good. Okay, so anyway, Paul's Paul had a necessary trip, what I would call a necessary trip to make now. That he, that he had gotten this letter, the continual negative reports that were coming, even after the long letter, that compelled him to make a quick, and it was unplanned, trip back to Corinth to set things in order with his own hand. He sent Timothy 
Timothy was struggling. They didn't really like Timothy or they didn't want to listen to him. He's a young guy. Nobody wants to listen to a young pastor. They want to listen to a mature pastor. So Paul said, okay, I'm a mature pastor. I'll go tell him. I'll straighten you guys out. Uh, and then that would be like if we, if, we needed, if we had a problem in Clinton, that we had started a church. And not, not that we have a problem in, at the church in Clinton, but if, let's say we did. So Paul dispatched one of our Bible Institute students over there, go straighten those guys out. And they get over there, and they're trying to straighten the church out, and they're all like, we like you, but you're, you're not a pastor. Who are you telling us? And so Brian would have to go to straighten things out. And so that's the kind of scenario that's played out right now here with all of this stuff. So he had, so Paul, he says, I'm going to make an unplanned trip. I'm going to go to Corinth and, and straighten things out. So he planned to finish up his work in Ephesus and then departed for Macedonia by way of Corinth. And the troubles in Corinth were serious enough to require direct personal involvement. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness, and then in verse chapter two or chapter thirteen, verse two, I told you before, and foretell and foretell you as I have as if I were present the second time. Notice he says present the second time. Uh, and being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned, and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. Paul says I'm going to have to come, and it's not going to be pleasant. I'm going to deal with the sin that needs to be dealt with. So this visit was difficult for both Paul and the church. And during this visit, he was personally attacked by one of the own, his own members of the one of the own members of the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 5. He said, "But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all." And so he was being attacked because this guy was claiming that Paul was being too harsh, too judgmental, too you know, condescending and so on. So Paul grieves on his return to Ephesus. He leaves the church. He goes back to Ephesus, and he writes a third letter that we'll call the lamented letter. So you have the lost letter, the long letter, the lamented letter. It's no it, uh, We also don't have the third letter, so we don't have the first or the third. We do have the second, and we have the fourth, and we'll get to the fourth in a minute. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you, with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Now, think about the tone of that verse. He said, look, I'm sorry that I, that I caused anguish and affliction of heart when I wrote that second letter, or the either both, both letter, first and second letter. Uh, it wasn't my desire that you'd be grieved, but you, the reason I wrote the letter was to let you know that I love you and I care abundantly for you. That was Paul. That was the heart of 1 Corinthians. So there's, there is a sense here that Paul regretted his letter as, as it was harsh and blunt. He says in 2 Corinthians 7, chapter 7, verse 12, Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for, this, not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God may appear unto you. That's Paul saying, I just wanted to be transparent with the situation that's being dealt with right now. I just want you to know, this is not just me. This is God. I want you to see God in what's happening here. I want to be transparent. That's what verse 12 of chapter 7 is all about. So he dispatched Titus to carry this third letter. And Paul, now Paul's waiting. He's 
waiting for Titus to bring the word back. He's waiting. Paul, go, go deliver the, bring me a report back what they say. Bring me the report. Bring me the report. He, and so while he's still waiting for, for Titus, he left Ephesus and he went to Troas. And he, now he, he went to Troas and he was frustrated. He was depressed, literally. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel, and a door was opened to the door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence unto Macedonia. He says, Look, I've been waiting for, for uh, Titus to bring word of how you're going to respond to my uh, letter, so I had to write you another letter, the lamented letter, and I'm, now I'm waiting. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting to hear from you. I'm, I, it's affected me so much that I can't even share the gospel. I'm so upset. I don't know if you've ever been upset about a situation that you just you couldn't even get the words out of your mouth. That's where Paul is at right now. He just can't speak. Now he finally met up with Titus. Titus brought great news. The majority of the church had repented of their rebellion against Paul. The offending brother of 1 Corinthians 5, the one that was involved in the, uh, the, the, the serious sexual situation, and um, he had been dealt with, and he was being restored. And Paul was just ecstatic over that because he had to, that was one of the reasons he went to deal with that situation of that guy. Uh, Titus's report was encouraging, but it also brought, unfortunately, troubling news as well. Some in Corinth were questioning Paul's authority as an apostle. So well, who is Paul? I remember Paul says, "Do I have to write a letter of, of uh, recommendation? Do I have to give you? I mean, you are my letter written upon my heart." And so anyway, uh, they were being, he was being challenged by these Judaizing teachers who seemed to follow Paul everywhere, attempting to underline his, undermine his teaching. And so they appear to have questioned his truthfulness, his speaking ability, his unwillingness to accept support from the church. I mean, that was the whole issue about money. It's always about money at some point in time. And there were also some people who had not repented of their licentious behavior. So even so, in the state of overwhelming joy, Paul began to write what we call the last letter, which is Second Corinthians, the letter Second Corinthians. So we have the lost letter, the long letter, the lamented letter, and the last letter. Uh, so four letters, just in a short time. Uh, now we would blast off an email and have it there in you know, record time. Paul had to write it. He actually had to dictate it. Had to have it written, transcribed and then sealed and then hand carried by some people. Who knows how long it would take. But that, but there's, there's a timing process here. It takes a while sometimes. And really what it's doing is taking, is letting God work in people's hearts. You know, sometimes we blast off an email. And there's been times I've blasted off an email like, well, maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. Probably you have too, I don't know. I mean, I think we're all human and that's kind of how we do things. You know, at least he could, Paul could say, Titus, give me that letter back. Burn it and rewrite it. You, know, you can't really do that. You can delete an email, but you can never delete stuff on the internet. It's always there. Okay, so we're gonna, let me, this, this, we need to wrap up because we're going to run out of time here. So the purpose of the letter. What, what is Paul writing this letter for? Paul's primary purpose to write this letter, write the last letter, really, and I, I, I say this, without any kind of pride in, in his heart, to vindicate his apostleship and his manner of life. 
That's kind of how I would describe it. He's vindicating his apostleship and his manner of life. How does he do that? By talking about himself and using himself as an example. First, Second Corinthians finishes dealing with the unresolved problem exposed in sin and addresses everything in First Corinthians. And some of those rebuked by Paul have repented. Paul's words to them in the first nine chapters of this letter are very encouraging. So the first first half of the, of the book, I'm a little bit more of the first half. But there are still others whose true colors become more evident in 2 Corinthians by their lack of repentance and their continued resistance to his teaching. So these are now unmasked as what he would call false prophets. Do we talk about our false apostles? Do we talk about false apostles and false prophets in, in, in 2 Peter at length? And so same concept with what Peter was dealing with with false, false prophets and false teachers. Paul is dealing with that same thing as well in his own church. And so um, what we're going to find in, this, in the second Corinthians is the human side of Paul. It's the human side of Paul. He is the picture of self-discipline and focus, and he knows what he's been called to do, and he does it. He's focused on what he knows he needs to do, and sometimes he appears above and apart from the other Christians, and certainly from us. You know, sometimes people might think about um, leaders in the church and pastors and so on, and, well, they're just too good to, to be around anybody. Now, not, I'm not saying that about Brian, because Brian, Brian gets down in there, and he, you know, he'll, he'll scrub the toilet just like everybody. I mean, he'll do things. But there are pastors that, that think they're above the, above the body. They are above the body in, in spiritual leadership, but not they're not above the body because they're still part of the body. But you know how that is. Sometimes people, you know, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's just the boss at work. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he never he never seems to be uh, part of the, the, the workforce. Um, so anyway, that's what Paul was being accused about that type of thing. So in this letter. He is more transparent in this letter about his inward feelings and motivation than anywhere else that he wrote in the New Testament. In chapter 7, verses 8 to 16, uh, well, I won't take time, I'd like to read that, but we're running out of time. Paul expressed his relief and his joy at their repentance, but his main con uh, concern, he had, he had a main concern, I give you four points that he, that he really wanted to write this letter. He needed to defend his apostleship in the first seven chapters. He needed to exhort the Corinthians to resume preparations for the collection of the poor at Jerusalem. Remember, they, he, he said, hey, you remember, remember that promise you made that you said that you would, that you would contribute to the need? It's been a year. You haven't given up. You haven't, you haven't done anything yet. So he, he takes them to task for that. Uh, he confronts the false apostles head on in chapters 10 to 13. Then he went to Corinthians as he had written that he would do. And the Corinthians' participation in Jerusalem offering and, and, and so on, and that implies that Paul's third visit to the to the church was was successful as well. Uh, so let me just let me wrap this up and say, well, what, what do we need to get out of this letter? What do, where are we going with this study? So let me just give you a few things here. I don't know if this is in the hand. I think this might be in the handout towards the end. Yeah. Uh, so the purpose of our study is to learn how to be transparent enough to impact others. So that's what we're looking for. How do we become transparent like Paul so we can have an impact like others, but still be on the on the side of grace and peace and under the authority of 
the Word of God and God and the Spirit of God, which is in us and moves with us. Okay, so we want to learn how to be transparent. So these are some bullet points here. To show our show sin, our authority over it. You know, our flesh, um, our flesh runs our life a lot. And our flesh thinks it's got authority over our life. And sometimes we let it. But we got to show sin that we have authority over our life. That authority comes from God. Secondly, is to show humility in confronting false teaching. How do you respond to somebody that's teaching wrong? I know we've talked about that in, in, in our Second Peter study, that you know sometimes we just have to call them out. But everybody gets, oh, I don't know if I can do that. They get a little nervous. Okay, that's, that's legitimate. So Paul, in this letter, is going to give us some examples on how to deal with false teaching. What do you do? Sometimes you just have to be blunt. If the Bible says you're teaching wrong, you know, don't be afraid. God's with you. Uh, third thing is to show partnership in ministering to those in need. Um, and number four, to learn to be transparent in our walk and in our belief. And I would give you 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. It's kind of like the, uh, the verse that we would look at uh, for this whole study. Our rejoicing is this. The testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly, abundantly to you would. That's what Paul desired. That's what we should desire for ourselves, for every person that we walk in front of, come in contact with somehow. That our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, and the that in simplicity, which is humility, in godly sincerity, which is humility, not with fleshly wisdom, which is pride, but with the grace of God, we have our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you would. That should be what we desire for every person that we have the opportunity to influence. That's what Paul is doing. So, so this week, I'm going to give you a couple of things. This week, read the first chapter, because we're going to be in the first chapter for a few weeks. Uh, pray that you become the same example of the believer Paul is re, uh, of, of the believer be like Paul recalling what he desired in 1 Corinthians 11 remember 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 be ye followers of me as I follow Christ this is what Paul is kind of talking about here's my transparent life this is what my life looks like don't pick it out of a doctrinal thesis of, of in the book of Corinth or, or Galatia or something. Take this, this example of my life, and make that the example of your life. Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. And number three, pray for the body of believers that we call HBF, that this church does not look like 1 Corinthians. Now, we need to make sure that our church doesn't look like 1 Corinthians. Not that it does right now, but we, but it doesn't take much. Just something sneaks into the body. We've talked about that before. Somebody comes in with some false ideas or some mis mistaught doctrine from another church, and they start seed planting that. Next thing you know, it's spread everywhere. We've got to be able to stop that. Uh, and then pray that everybody looks like Paul in both word and deed. And so that's where we're going with 2 Corinthians. Uh, that, I just wanted to give you that as an introduction, more like why is this book written? Why did he have to write a second letter? Uh, and so on. And so that's where we're going. We'll start with verse 3 in chapter 1 next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for the example of Paul uh, and the consistently um, 
perfect, not perfect, but it, but humanly perfect, as best as possible, example that he that he is. We ask, Lord, that we all can look like Paul and uh, and be like Paul, and that we would also that we would that we would take Second Corinthians one verse twelve and make that our uh, our our mission, Lord, to become like that. What Paul says in that verse that he is that we want to be. And we thank you and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of preparation, Randy. Thank you. Yeah, it took a while, but it was good. I mean, I, 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 like I said, I never really dealt into um, this um, this book at this level, and, and it was just amazing to see these things. Like, wow, I never realized that. I mean, I've read it, you know, like you've. Ever